From the Church Pension Group, this is Choose Well. Hi, my name is Krishna Dalakia, and this is Choose Well, the podcast that focuses on well-being, from maintaining physical and psychological health to being financially secure. Today, we're talking about managing your financial life. Leading the questions for today's episode is Janet Todd, who serves as the Assistant Vice President for the Education Programs in the Church Pension Group. She is responsible for curriculum and the development of CPG's education programs. Prior to joining CPG, Janet had over 15 years of experience as a professor teaching finance, economics, and accounting. She has a PhD in finance from Michigan State University. Janet will be speaking with Gerald Delk, Vice President of Education for CPG. Gerald has oversight responsibility for the development and management of financial and health education programs and resources that aim to increase financial security and promote the well-being of CPG's clients. Formerly a senior director at Vanguard, Gerald focuses on participant action. He helps clients to understand their options so that they can make healthier choices in their finances and their lifestyles. Also, he shares his knowledge with students as an adjunct professor at Rutgers University. He holds an MBA from Clark Atlanta University and a BBA from Lemoyne Owen College. Gerald has served as a deacon and elder in his church and a board member for several nonprofit organizations. He and his wife, Karen, have three children. Thank you, Krishna. Gerald, I'm so glad to be talking with you today, not only to discuss these important financial topics, but also to give our clients an opportunity to get to meet you. Hi, Janet. I am really looking forward to our conversation today. You know, it's been a few months since I've joined uh, CPG. I started late uh, in 2021, so I've had an opportunity to really get a chance to understand what we do, who our clients are. And, you know, we're talking about a topic today that's near and dear to my heart uh, that I've come to become very familiar with over the years. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, thank you. Today, as you mentioned, we are going to be talking about the importance of managing your financial life, which is a topic that is also near and dear to me. And we're going to be looking at what's involved, some rules of thumb that might be helpful, Um, How good management techniques today might help you meet your future financial goals, such as retirement, and also how your financial life affects and is affected by other aspects of your life. So to begin, Gerald, what do you think is the first step that someone should take in order to either get onto or stay on a good financial path? I oftentimes uh, advise people to take a step back. So first of all, Understand what your purpose are. What are your objectives? So really think about what you want to do in life. And that's a, that's a pretty broad question. Uh, so I think you really need to understand what your goals are. But the first thing you want to do is really understand your inflows and outflows. And that involves creating a spending plan. So you have a paycheck. I think given we are in this virtual world and we've been online for a number of years, even pre-pandemic, so we don't get a paper check stub anymore. So I encourage people to, when you want to understand your income, look at that paper check stub. Go online, look at the details. You start out with your gross pay, 
and there's a lot of deductions before you even start spending. So you have things like your taxes, you have healthcare premiums, 401k deductions, uh, other insurance costs. So that's, that's key to me. And then the other thing is, how am I spending my money? I think we oftentimes keep things in our head. But when you create a spending plan, it should be on paper. And that can seem a little overwhelming uh, to most people. But it truly is just pulling together a few bank statements, a few months, and see how am I spending my money. You know, my wife and I are amazed sometimes. Uh, I'm the one who likes to put things on paper and in spreadsheets. Not so much with my wife, but I think she mm-hmm. kind of understands big picture where we're going. But even though I like putting things in Excel, I don't like to look at them every week, every month. So it's an exercise that I go through, you know, a few times a year just to make sure that I am on track. So that's the first thing I recommend is understanding where your money is coming from and where it's going. So that's kind of part of that financial capability. So if I am, you know, working diligently and I'm looking at where my money's coming from and I'm looking at what's going out and suddenly I notice, wait, there's a gap. I'm spending more than that's coming in. What are some things that I should be looking at in order to try to bridge that gap? Well, the first thing is if you have a gap, how are you closing that gap? Are you using credit cards? Uh, So that's something really big to take a look at. And when we think about how we close the gap, just like any corporation, you either need to increase your income or decrease your expenses. And generally, that can be a combination of both. So that's what I recommend people understand. Where is my gap coming in? Is it coming in at the middle of the month, the end of the month? Maybe my paycheck doesn't line up with certain bills. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to pick up the phone and call a creditor or utility company and say, you know what, I'd love to change my due date from the 15th to the 18th so that it can align up with my paycheck. So that's probably one of the first things that you want to do. Again, that's why having that spending plan, then you can understand how you need to and when you need to close the gap, probably more importantly. As you mentioned, your wife is not one to do, you know, the spreadsheets and so forth. So it's a nice balance in your relationship. But there are many people out there who just are not going to sit down and put it on paper, even though it's probably a good idea that they do. So for them, what kind of rules of thumb might work that would allow them to not have to feel like they need to, you know, sit and grind the numbers? Yeah, Janet, you know, that's interesting. It makes me think about, you know, my childhood growing up. Uh, You know, my parents, uh, my mother was uh, a college instructor. My father worked in a plant. Uh, So we didn't sit around and we certainly didn't have spreadsheets, uh, (laughs) you know, during that time period. So oftentimes there were these rules of thumb uh, that were imparted on my brother and I. My dad would always say, you know, don't spend more than you make. I mean, so that was always his mantra to us. And my mother would always say things like, you know, you get this money from your paper route and it's burning a hole in your pocket, you know, stop spending all of your money. And so when we think about rules of thumb, one important one is just understanding that, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, 50%, so all of my money that comes in, maybe I spend 50% of it on needs. And so needs are things like, you know, your mortgage, your utilities. So those are things that need to take place. And then 30% on wants. So those are those items that are entertainment. So maybe I want to travel. Maybe I want to go to 
a restaurant, and then I've got 20% on savings. Now, these numbers are rules of thumb, so they don't necessarily work for everyone, but what I like about it is, you know, it's kind of easy for you to think in those three buckets. And one thing you want to do, so we've got the wants that are listed here. You need wants in life, uh, so you can't penalize yourself and say, well, I'm going to be so frugal to where I'm not going to enjoy life. But these are rules of thumb, and I think it's very helpful to those who don't like to sit down and put things into some spreadsheet and look at them on a you know weekly or monthly basis. So in other words, someone could just um, say, all right, maybe this month I'm going to track my expenses, add them up, and kind of see where am I within those percentages of that rule of thumb, you know, just to kind of get a general idea of where their money's going, make some mental changes, and then just kind of reset, go on their merry way for a while, and then when they feel like they're out of balance again, kind of repeat that process. That's exactly it, Janet. It is making sure that you are conscious enough to say, well, I'm going to look at this, you know, once every six months or, you know, once every nine months, maybe with a change of the season. Like things like, for example, you know, changing the battery uh, in, in, in my fire detector, my smoke detector, I know when to do that. I do it, you know, when daylight savings time. So, you know, it's just little things. And the interesting thing about, you know, these rules of thumb or when I'm going to sit down, sometimes you need to have a change. So maybe you don't look at it every six months or nine months. Maybe it's two months or maybe it's a year. Maybe you work with your spouse or your partner to, you know, kind of nudge each other about when to talk about these things. And one thing I do want to mention, you know, we talk about this budget that's here or the spending plan. You have to really be active, I guess, in really managing it. So it's not a just set it and forget it. And things like inflation. So I think we can all relate to inflation today because that may cause you to actually, you know, change your spending plan. And, and recently, Janet, last weekend, my wife and I traveled to Atlanta. And this was our first trip since the pandemic. What was interesting is I started, you know, paying for the trip. I started noticing that the airfare had gone up significantly. Uh, the hotel rates were up. Everything was up. And when I looked at what we spent for this trip versus what it would have cost pre-pandemic, because we do travel to Atlanta occasionally, I spent twice as much. Wow. And so as I'm thinking about my spending plan going forward, this inflation really is causing people to take a step back and say, well, where's my money going? So I've got to really be creative uh, with this spending plan now. So again, the spending plan, it is unique to you. This 50, 30, 20 that we talked about, that is something that may change over time, but it's a good rule of thumb uh, to, uh, to manage your affairs. So what I glean out of the conversation is that um, you have to be an active participant in this budget. You can't just set it up, but you also have to sometimes change your behaviors around the budget based on what's happening from the outside world and you know the cost of things changing over time may cause you to go back and, and readjust it. And, you know, it's it's similar how they say, you know, you got to look at your estate plan whenever some life situation changes. For financial life, it's what's happening in the economy might also be a good time to stop, reassess, and see where you want to go forward. No, I, I could not agree more. 
I wanted to pick up on something that you said earlier about the gap and how some people might use debt to cover the gap. And so in general, um, a lot of people are using consumer debt. Sometimes it's to cover a gap. Sometimes it's to buy a home or a car. Or sometimes it's just for daily transactions because that's convenient. So before we really start talking about the, the nuts and bolts of debt, what are some of the good uses and the bad uses or, of that consumer debt? Yeah, Janet, that's an interesting one because, you know, credit has been with us for for years. And it's it's a tool that you can use to help you, you know, accomplish certain goals. And when I think about some of the pros, so it, it I mentioned my trip. So it's an ease of, you know, making purchases such as hotel reservations, uh, rental cars, paying for airfare, that's very helpful to be able to use a credit card to do that. Uh, the other thing is you can generate points. I mean, there are incentives for using some credit cards. Uh, I mean, I can accumulate points, and over time I can have enough to actually pay for an airline ticket. Uh, and there's no need to carry cash. I think that that's a big one that people are comforted by, is just knowing that I can pull out my card and I can execute a transaction. Now, on the other side of it, when I think about the cons, they're interest rates that are associated with credit cards. And these interest rates can range, you know, anywhere from something that's very low. I've seen interest rates, you know, as high as 20 or 25%. So you have to really be aware of that because that interest rate, what it can do if you don't pay it off at the end of the month, um, the balance can build. So I can make a purchase of a laptop, you know, computer for, I don't know, call it $1,500. And if I don't pay it off uh, at the end of the month, I may end up paying, you know, significantly more for that purchase uh, over time just because if I do it over 24 months or 30 months, that's going to be an additional um, interest cost. And so the the payback period, that's the other flip side of it. So if I don't pay it back, um, and if you look at some of the credit card statements, it will tell you if you make the minimum payment, this is how long it's going to take you to pay off this debt. So you need to be aware of that because this debt can stay with you for for a number of months or years. And interestingly, you know, say you used it when you went to Atlanta um, to go out to eat and the card comes and you have really nothing to show for some of those transactions that are on your card. So the fact that, you know, if you are drawing out that payment over time, you know, it's it's hard to remember how much you enjoyed that meal you know, six months later when you're still paying for it. So, it, you know, it's an interesting concept to be able to use it for convenience, but could cause the cost of that meal to, you know, significantly be increased. We had a study done for um, the church pension group by the Employee Benefit Research Institute, or what we call EBRI, and their question was in general on financial wellness, but they asked a question about debt. And it showed that 45% of our lay employees and 38% of the clergy that were in that survey had credit card debt. Now, for some, as you mentioned, it can be used as a convenience, but for others, the debt can become burdensome. So what can a person do if they feel like that debt is becoming a burden and, you know, maybe they're only now able to make those minimum payments because that, you know, balance is so high? So what are some of the things that they can do? Yeah, Janet, you know, that that's interesting because, you know, you get into this habit 
and you start using that credit card, you know, as part of your monthly spending plan. And so you feel like, okay, I'm making ends meet, but the way you make it ends meet is by using the credit card. So be aware of that. Know what your debt is first and foremost. Write it down. What, what am I, what's my balance? What's my interest rate? What payments am I making each month? And so now you want to create a plan to actually pay down that debt, pay it off. And there, there are several approaches, and I'll talk about a couple here. One, you know, you focus on the credit card with the highest interest rate. So rather than making the minimum payments, I mean, try to, you know, force yourself to pay more on the ones that have the higher interest rate. So those are the ones that you may want to think about eliminating first, those balances. Now, the other uh, approach that is used is focusing on the smallest balances first. So if you have one that may be several hundred dollars or maybe in the low thousands, maybe focus there. And what that does, you know, studies have shown that people feel good about paying off their debt. And so that way you start building momentum. So you've eliminated the debt on the one that happens to be a smaller balance, such as 500 or or $1,000. So now you pivot over and you start applying that payment to another credit card. So it's the momentum effect. And so over time, you will pay it off, all of your debt. But what's really critical is that spending plan because you don't want to fall back into that habit of using credit cards to fill the gap. So it's important to be looking at your spending plan while you are paying off your debt. So as you're looking at your spending plan, your spending plan is going to change. And one of the things that I've seen a lot in the retirement readiness research is trying to get yourself to a credit card debt-free position before retirement. Why is this so important for many people? Janet, this is so critical because I think we all want to retire. I think everyone has one of their top goals is to retire. Now, we have, we're starting from different places. We have different stories. Uh, we have unique patterns or wants and desires. But I think we want to enjoy retirement. And when you retire, I'm going to use that word spending plan again. Do you want to spend your money on paying off debt? Or do you want to enjoy life? Now, you need to really think about it because, you know, somebody may have, a, someone may have a strategy where the debt, certain types of debt may make sense for them, but it really can become a drain. And so think about it. You're in retirement. There are no more paychecks coming in from your job. So the income that you're living on, how do you want to spend it? Do you want to spend it again on the debt or do you want to take trips? So it can cause a lot of stress going into retirement. So you need to really think about debt, um, you know, before moving into retirement. Let's assume that I do have debt and I'm working really hard on reducing that debt. But one of the other things that is often mentioned is that in order to bridge those gaps in your spending plan, because unexpected things will often happen that may not be in your spending plan, is to have some type of an emergency account. So you're not using your credit card as your emergency account. So as I'm reducing the debt, how do I simultaneously or do I simultaneously build that emergency fund at the same time? How do, how do I balance those? Yeah, Jen, Janet, that, that's another good point. I think you want to do both. So it is you want to pay off debt, 
but you also want to be creating that emergency fund. And that emergency fund will help you weather storms. So if an appliance breaks down, a car breaks down, you don't have to go back and use a credit card. You can actually use your emergency fund. Now, a lot of experts will recommend, you know, setting aside three to six months of expenses in an emergency fund. But that can be a little bit overwhelming to people. So what you want to do first and foremost is start. Start with small amounts and build up to having the three to six months uh, in your emergency fund. So think about it. So if you're putting away money every paycheck or, you know, every week, that's the plan that you're going to use. And the small numbers, you know, if you're putting away 100 bucks a month, you know, 200 bucks a month, that builds up over time. And I think studies have also shown that having at least $400 in an emergency fund can help you weather, you know, some of those storms, such as when that appliance uh, breaks down. Those are the things that you don't often think about or build into your budget because they just happen so infrequently, but yet those costs can be quite large and put a real dent into your budget. So that, that's very good um, advice, do a little of both. When I was teaching, we used to talk about, you know, how do you calculate mortgage payments and mortgage debts? So this is another area that, of debt that many people have. And for the most part, you know, this affords you the opportunity to live in a home. And I used to tell my students that, you know, some of it is financial, but some of it is also the quality of life that you're getting by where you're living. But it is easy to overextend because if you put too much emphasis on that quality of life, you might get in over your head, so to speak. So much of the financial press is saying, I mean, you can probably handle about 30% of your gross income on housing. And you mentioned earlier that when you're looking at your spending plan, look at your paycheck, and you know, you'll see all those things taken out of your gross. How do you have 30% on housing? What are they looking at there? So with the housing, and, and, and it's easy for one to assume that my mortgage payment, that's it for housing. But you really think about it. You have to pay that monthly, you know, your monthly mortgage payment, but you have other costs. I mean, and in that mortgage payment should be, you know, the, the amount that's put into your escrow for insurance and taxes. So that's certainly called, that's part of that mortgage payment, but you've got utilities, you have maintenance. So that 30%, that 28%, if you're not managing that number, it, it can be higher uh, than 30%. So yes, you can afford to move into, you can afford the down payment on a home, but then can you afford to actually maintain that? So we have to really think about that because 30% sounds like a big number, and, and it is a big number, but you have to think about that mortgage payment. What does it include for me to live in the house? Same thing with, with a car. Um, yes, there's a monthly payment to the car, but there's maintenance such as oil and gas, and gas prices are going up. So, you know, those are just things that you have to think about uh, when you think about a mortgage or a car payment. A lot of the articles that I've been reading, they say mortgage payment, but in reality, they're really talking about that expansive payment, um, and they're just using the term loosely. So that's a really good thing to understand. And then I guess to compound the issue, how do you handle, now I've got a mortgage at 30%, now I've got credit card debt. Is there some kind of a way I can figure out what amount of debt I can handle based on the income that I'm receiving? 
Yeah, you know, and again, this is one of these rules of thumb that we talk about here. And so we think about, you know, 36% is kind of a, a rule of thumb that's used when I think about my mortgage, my car payments, all of my debt. Am I, you know, above or below that number? And as you start to creep above that number, um, you need to really pay close attention to it because it could cause a gap down the road. So think about all of your debt payments, all of your, you know, mortgage, credit cards, et cetera. Think about that 36% number because that's probably where you want to be. And as you start to creep over it, again, revisit your spending plan to figure out why you're going above the 36%. Basically, debt can be good if it's used within the appropriate um, ability for you to handle that debt and for you not to overstretch yourself and, you know, perhaps continue to roll that debt, you know, over, over time at those higher interest rates. There is another type of debt out there, which is normally a good debt, and that's student loan debt, because you're investing in your human capital. So the theory is you go to school, you might have to take on some debt. You learn some skills, they become valuable, you get a job, and that increases your um, wage earning ability and improves your human capital or your knowledge, what you can offer to the workplace. However, with the increasing costs of college over time, a lot of people end up coming out of school and they have a huge amount of student loan debt, which really impinges on them. And there are student loan forgiveness programs out there, but up until a little while ago, um, those that worked for religious organizations, 501c3s, were not eligible for the programs. So can you tell us the good news about what has changed? Yeah, Janet, uh, this, this, is, um, this is becoming a, a big issue when we think about just the, the amount of student loan debt that's out here today. It's over $1 trillion. Uh, so it's a significant, um, you can call it a drain on the economy, but that's a significant amount of money. And fortunately, though, the public service loan forgiveness program is, is an opportunity for some individuals to have, you know, some of their loans, some of their debt uh, forgiven. And as you mentioned, you know, now religious organizations are actually included in that. So just some of the, the high-level qualifications so you must work for a qualified employer. And so now we know that religious organizations are included there, work full time, uh, have federal student loans. That's really an important distinction because there, there's federal loans, public loans rather, and private. So private loans do not are not eligible uh, under this program. You know, there, there are other qualifying uh, qualifications that you need to meet as well. And on our website at cpg.org forward slash learning, you can find more information. We actually have a recorded webinar that will really explain in detail the steps you need to take to apply for uh, loan forgiveness. And I'm really excited about that. And I know that um, our participants are also going to be very excited to hear about this if they haven't yet already. So we've talked a lot about the importance of cash and debt management and some rules of thumb to help you in that management. But in the greater scheme of things, one of the goals that we have is retirement readiness. So how can focusing on that day-to-day -day management actually help us with our retirement readiness? Focusing on the day-to-day -day helps you to, you know, maintain your goal. If your goal is to be able to replace a certain amount of your income and you know how much you need to be 
saving through your retirement plan uh, on a monthly basis, it just helps you to maintain that. And so uh, as we talk about often, it is, it's about starting and it's about building, contributing more to your retirement plan so that when you reach your retirement age, your desired retirement age, that you do have the right amount of uh, income that's going to help you to replace, uh, you know, what you have accumulated or help you to replace the income that you're no longer going to be receiving because there's no paycheck coming in. So that's where the retirement readiness comes in. And so it is about your day-to-day behaviors that will help you to stay on, stay on point when it comes to setting aside a certain amount of money each month. Yeah, so in other words, even though retirement may be far off or it may be close for some, the, the day-to-day piece is the actual savings piece. And that's the behavior that you need to work on for that future person and that's going to hopefully have a really nice retirement one day. Exactly. Moving a little bit away from the nuts and bolts, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, making spending plans and doing spreadsheets, etc. I remember when I was studying finance, a lot of the financial literature made it sound like finance was its own separate unit. Like you spent a couple hours maybe writing your checks out. Back then it was checks for your mm-hmm. bills. Um, you periodically looked at your accounts to make sure everything was in order. Um, you were really just checking off the box and then you got back to your real life. You know, mom would go sit at the dining room table and she'd, you know, be working on it. And then when she was done, you know, the rest of the life went on. It's not like that anymore. Now the financial literature is talking about financial wellness. And what does that mean to you? What does financial wellness mean? So financial wellness, uh, you're right, it's a term that we hear often today. And when we think about the wellness, so let's even take a step back and say, you know, it's my health, uh, it's social connectedness, uh, you know, am I, what's my emotional state like? And, and certainly the prosperity, the financial part is a key component of it, but things are so connected today. I, I can't just focus in isolation on finance because there are other things, other factors that drive my financial security. Because if my fi- finance is not in order, that could impact my stress, which could impact my health. So I've got to be thinking about these things holistically. So when we think about the well-being, it's more than just the financial piece, the other dimensions as well. And I imagine that it's not only if your financial life is not in order, it could happen the other way. Other aspects of your life, for instance, you know, you develop a health condition that now requires you to take, you know, prescription drugs that might be very costly, or you have to, um, you know, work with your doctor continually. So now you've got the added costs of going to the doctor every every month or so. Those other aspects can also affect your finances. And those are times when you need to step back and say, I need to prioritize and figure out how all this is going to work. Um, does that sound like something that, you know, resonates with, um, with you? It, it, it does. And we often hear the word balance. And I think balance is critical. That doesn't always mean something is 50-50, but it is that I understand when I think about my financial well-being, what are the dimensions that I want to focus on? If it is, you know, my health, my social connectedness, you know, the friends, the people, the community uh, that really help me to feel whole, 
So I need to feel good about each of those dimensions. So I think, Janet, it's a very good point. We can't, we can no longer think about finance in isolation. We have to think about it in terms of the well-being. And, and I think that's actually a healthier way to approach it, because I know that many people feel a lot of stress around their finances. And if they can remember that their finances are part of the whole of who they are, and just as they work hard in those other areas to, you know, have a good life and a well life, that, you know, including your financial life in that piece can just make it so much better. So kind of to sum up what we've talked about is, if you can increase control over your day-to-day financial life, you'll have better ability to enjoy it today, but you're also going to have the ability to still continue to save for those future goals, you know, and makes a little bit of a sacrifice today in order to have a good future. That pretty much sums it up. I mean, I think it is focusing on the day-to-day, the details, and that will help you reach, you know, your larger goal. So have the goal, set the goal, know what you want, and then focus day to day. That's where things like the behaviors come into into play. If I have a spending plan, you know, I don't have to walk around thinking about it often, but I know that I shouldn't be making, you know, this retail therapy. I shouldn't walk into a department store. Like I, I go, when I walk to the train station, I pass one of my favorite stores, but I know I shouldn't go in there and, and spend. Uh, because yes, it looks good, it feels good, but that's not part of my spending plan. And I'm going to probably buy something that I may use infrequently. Right. So in, in other words, change your habits today, try to really prioritize, you know, where do you want that financial income to be spent and how do you want to spread it among all those competing um, items out there? So I do have one last question for you, Gerald, and that is we've talked about a lot today and there's a lot to really think about and ponder. And obviously we couldn't go into it into maybe enough detail for someone to maybe who needs extra help to try to move forward in this area and getting their financial life in order. So what resources does the church pension group have that someone could take advantage of um, in order to start improving in this area or even maintaining what they're doing. Yeah, J- Janet, uh, with the Church Pension Group on, on our website, uh, you can go to, again, cpg.org, you know, forward slash learning, and you will find a wealth of information and courses that will help you things with like understanding how to prepare a budget. You know, what does that mean? Understanding the topics we've discussed today, the, the credit cards, the debt, how to build a plan to pay down debt. If you have, you know, if you invested in your 403B, uh, we have courses to help you understand what is that? What is investing? So there are many tools, uh, a lot of content that's on our website uh, that can really help you. So again, cpg.org forward slash learning. And now that the pandemic is receding, We are also starting our on-site programs as well. So we hope that you can take advantage of those and, you know, you can ask, you know, your personal questions. There is another resource I'd like you to mention, and that is what if you just need to talk with somebody? You've read all the material and it's just not 
you're just having a little bit of trouble figuring out how it fits in your life. Is there a way that you can talk with somebody here at CPG? Yes, you can. We have financial education specialists who are ready. They're here to help you, really help you look at things objectively. Uh, they are seasoned uh, individuals who've worked extensively in the area of the, the financial planning, you know, the wellness. So that is something that you can take advantage of. Again, that is referenced on our website, but, you know, you could also call our client services, call client services, and they can ensure that you will be connected with uh, one of our financial education specialists. They're there to help you, non-judgmental. It is a resource. Please use this resource. Well, thank you, Gerald. This has been a really interesting conversation. I've actually learned some things from you, and I'm sure that our listeners will as well. I'm really excited to be working with you, and I look forward to the many years ahead where we can um, continue our education for our clients. Thanks, Janet. I really have enjoyed our conversation today, and since we're here together, I look forward to even continuing it. And as we do travel uh, with conferences, I look forward to interacting with, uh, with clients. So thanks again, Janet. Thanks again, Janet and Gerald. I've certainly learned a lot of useful information and hopefully our audience has as well. This is the last episode of season two of Choose Well. We hope you enjoyed listening in. Be sure to visit cpg.org for wellness resources in our learning center and e-learning library. Theme music for our podcast is by Fran McKendry. Neither the Church Pension Fund nor any of its affiliates, collectively CPG, is responsible for the content, performance, or security of any website referenced herein that is outside the www.cpg.org domain or that is not otherwise associated with a CPG entity. The views and opinions expressed by guests of Choose Well are their own and do not represent the views and opinions of the Church Pension Fund or its affiliates, collectively the Church Pension Group. You've been listening to Choose Well from the Church Pension Group.